This episode of the Raven Tail Podcast is brought to you, as always, by Dusty Sala Publishing and their deep catalog of westerns, including Western Horror, Bounty Hunter Tales, uh, Ranching Tales, Mountain Men, uh, and more. If you head to dspublishingnetwork.com or find them on any of their social medias, uh, you'll find their selection of books and news articles, uh, like one I just saw, which covered their signing of Western superseller Paul Thompson. Uh, so congratulations to Dusty Saddle Publishing as an order. Um, I am Jerry Underhill. You can find me at jerrybear3. That's three spelled out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Welcome. This is Raventail. Fading into Shadow Written by Patrick Green Read by Jerry Underhill Pamela was up and through her bedroom doorway before she was fully awake. Little Cole was crying, and not from hunger. By the sound, his affliction could only be terror. She dashed through the narrow hallway of the mobile home like an Olympian, every sense hitting full alert in a twitch's time. She burst through Brandy's bedroom door, lunging to Cole's crib. The boy stood with his back against the crib wall, little hands curled into fists pressed against his mouth. Pamela yanked the toddler into her arms, enveloping him like a ball of blankets. What is it, Coley? Holding him tight against her, she turned to check the room, dark but for the low-watt nightlight. Only now did Cole's mother, Brandy, raise her head from the pillow. Pam? While Pamela had sensed grave danger, Brandy was oblivious, barely even awake. Pamela took a step toward Brandy's bed and froze, suddenly certain there was someone else in the room. Her eyes finally adjusting to the dark, she opened them wider still to gather light. To her left, in the far corner, there stood the silhouetted figure of a man, silent and unmoving. Get out! Pamela shouted at the shape. I already called the sheriff. The intruder seemed unimpressed by her quick-witted lie. Feeling a sinister stream of sentience burrow into her head, Pamela's fear redoubled. The stranger was invading her mind. What do you want? The shadow man's only answer was a slow and very deliberate step forward into the nightlight's radius. Yet the amber bulb revealed no detail as if cancelled out by the shadow man's infinite blackness. He was not flesh and blood. Pamela's scream could not climb through her woolen throat, but Cole's did. Cole? croaked Brandy. What's... Brandy, Pam whispered. There's someone here. Solid blackness. Solid evil. Pamela felt it envelop her like a cold wind. This man-shaped void had an intelligence, a purpose. Cole. 
still groggy, Brandy eased herself up on her elbows. Huh? The younger sister lacked the sense of urgency Pamela bore from her SIDS trauma like an infection. Over there! Pamela nodded toward it, clutching Cole ever tighter. Unmoved by Pamela's passionate protectiveness, the shadow man tilted his head, a mocking movement that made his intent clear. He wanted to touch Cole, to take him, perhaps to fill the child with his own malignant substance. Turn on the light, Brandy! The younger sister remained in a stupor until the shadow man moved, fly quick to the side of her bed, inches away. Pam watched as it stretched its neck like a snake of smoke, saw it bend toward Brandy. Brandy fled under the covers with a muffled scream. The blackness returned its attention to Pam and Cole, retracting its nebulous neck. Pam finally summoned a true scream, powerful and shrill. She spun the trembling baby away, presenting her own thin back as a shield. Cole buried his wet face into her neck. Pam looked around at the dark for a weapon. The crib offered only soft things. She felt small and meaningless, a thin shield of paper that would buy Cole only a split second. She felt the phantom touch her shoulder with a hand solid as flesh, cold as ice. A freezing, venomous wave radiated from it, like the ripples of a rock splashed into a placid stream. Traveling to her shoulder, her spine, her heart, her throat, a growing sphere of pure, painful despair. She saw only one choice. Placing Cole back in the crib, she lunged to the bedside lamp, fumbling for a split second to find the switch chain. She did. As soon as the lamp clicked on, the shadow man dissipated, like black fog blasted by sudden wind. Brandy, puffy eyelids barely open, looked at Pam, still holding the covers up to her neck. Standing under the kitchen light, the brightest in the house, Pam rocked her nephew in trembling arms. Cole remained agitated, raising a squall any time Pam turned even slightly toward the bedroom. Brandy stood at the stove, warming a bottle. Confused as she was frightened, she repeatedly asked Pamela what that thing was. Headlight beams swung through the windows. Brandy peeked past the curtain. They sent two. Still holding the boy, Pamela pulled on her floral anti-COVID mask and opened the door for the deputies, having already decided to keep quiet about the insistent cold patch on her shoulder. Thanks for coming. Ah, there, the first officer, a thin young man whose name badge read Billings, gave Cole a little finger wave. Compassion shone in the deputy's blue eyes over a mask printed with a smiling duckbill. My partner, Deputy Giles, is going to check around the house, ma'am. Billings greeted Brandy, went to the bedroom and made a check under the bed, then in the closet, then returned to stand between the kitchen and the living room. Tell me what happened. There was someone in the bedroom, Pam said. A man. It wasn't no man, Brandy said, her voice shaking. Pam had coached her younger sister not to mention the more bizarre aspects of the incident, but the adult 19-year-old either forgot or ignored the advice. On top of that, she hadn't donned a mask. Pardon me? said Billings. Pamela stifled a cringe. 
Billings had very likely just pegged them both as either high or crazy. It was a... Brandy shook her head, failing to find the description. We didn't get a good look, Pamela said. It was so dark. The second officer, a squat, freckle-faced woman with a crew cut, stepped inside. Clear. Deputy Giles introduced herself. Behind her mask, screen printed with a horse grin, Giles' gaze reflected exhaustion, yet the same abiding kindness as Billings. Oh, hey there, little un. Cole, curiosity about these uniformed strangers replacing his terror, finally smiled. The officers maintained admirable professionalism, as Brandy excitedly relayed a disjointed description of a man made out of shadows. It was just very dark. Pamela braced for the inevitable question about drugs in the house, hoping Brandy didn't have any. And poor Brandy, she sleeps so deeply. Brandy shot Pamela a look of veiled resentment. Pam, distracted by the pulsing cold spot on her upper back, did not notice. Giles looked at Pam and nodded toward the door. Let's talk outside, ma'am. I'll take Cole now, Brandy said. As he was eased to his mother, Cole held tight to Pam's hair, nightgown, fingers, everything he could grasp, squealing when finally wrestled away. Pam cooed reassurance as she followed Giles outside to the trailer's tiny front deck. The September night chill was nothing compared to the icy handprint on her shoulder. Deputy Giles took a few steps down the front stairway and leaned against the rail. Social distancing is hard on my knees, she joked, putting Pam more at ease by the second. What's the living situation here? Pam explained that she had moved in to help Brandy with the baby when the COVID-19 quarantine hit. She didn't mention the loss of her own boy to SIDS, or Brandy's party girl lifestyle. You're not being completely honest, Giles said, and I understand why. What do you? I've seen them too. Giles' tired eyes turned grim, the shadow men. And we're not the only ones, you and me. Pam had expected blunt accusations of drug use and child endangerment. You've seen the shadow people. They're real. Pam felt goose flesh rise on her arms and a deeper cold in the handprint on her shoulder. What can I, we, do about this? About this? Unfortunately, not much. Giles gave a sad frown, harsh and shadowy under the yellow bug light. You're doing the right thing, keeping that part quiet. Talking about shadow men won't go over with anybody. Pam reached across herself and rubbed her shoulder. It felt like a frozen puddle. There might be proof. She lowered the strap of her nightgown and turned toward Giles. Is there anything there? Giles was silent for a long moment. The bewildered Officer Billings remained in the mobile home with Pam, Brandy, and Cole, while Giles spread away to get her wife. "'What'll her wife do?' asked Brandy. Little Cole whined and wriggled, his gaze darting furtively toward the bedroom and quickly away, reaching for Pam. "'She's a well. She's a new-age type.' Billings showed no condescension. "'A healer.' Brandy looked perplexed, but Pam was hopeful." Before tonight, Pam would have dismissed the notion of crystal healing and that sort of thing. 
having become something of a secularist in college before dropping out. But if there could be a malignant shadow being capable of hurting her with a mere touch, Brandy asked to see the handprint again, then promptly recoiled, turning Cole away even as the boy reached out for his aunt again. Oh my God, it's black as sin. Let's not panic, Billings said. It's very superficial, whatever it is. Then why did your partner rush off like that? Billings took a moment to answer. We do have other calls. Pam knew the deputy was trying to keep her from panicking, and this triggered a growing bloom of panic. She had yet to see the mark herself. With a gentle guiding hand, Billings had directed her to a seat and asked her to stay there until Giles returned. Cole turned his head away from his mother, pushing his arms out rigid and straight against her. After a few minutes, morbid curiosity overcame Pam as she realized the numbness had expanded in just the last few minutes. She stared toward the now fully lit bedroom, replaying the incident in her mind. It seemed like a vivid nightmare, but the cold spot and Cole's hysteria were the evidence that it really happened. Pam stood and went toward the half-bath just beyond the living room. Ma'am, you don't need to do that, said Billings, stopping just short of grabbing her. Ignoring him, Pam went in and closed the bathroom door. She switched on the light, pulled down her strap, and screamed. For an instant, she thought there was a massive spider burrowing into her. Coming to understand what she really saw did not offer relief. The patch was indeed as black as the worst of sins, a raised, hand-shaped welt. Pam touched it again to find it colder still, and distended a massive, frigid blister. Insidious, tiny tendrils like black varicose veins trailed out several inches from the handprint. Her neck and deltoid tingled now as well, signs of spreading infection. The bathroom door opened, Brandy and little Cole. The baby again reached her as aunt. Shit, it's already worse, Brandy exclaimed. She stepped back, setting off Cole again. Ma'am, please, let's all remain calm. Billings attempted. Billings was at a loss again. What's your partner doing? Pam asked. She said she had a way to handle it, Billings said, and I trust her. Pam, I'm sorry, but you got to stay away from Cole with that. Ma'am, please be quiet, Billings said. Officer Giles asked me to keep your sister as calm as possible. Pam understood grimly that her stress and movement were making the malignancy worse. Okay, okay. Pam exited the bathroom, prompting Brandy to sharply step back and turn Cole away, which made him cry, which distressed Pam. Brandy, God damn it! Pam shouted. I'm not going to touch him. I'm sorry, Pam. I can't take no chances. Billings patted Pam's arm lightly to steer her toward the chair. Let's just get you sitting, all right? This was the same treatment she had received from the hospital staff the night her Tyler was born, the night he died. It triggered dread, but also a sort of resolved relief. She sat and stared straight ahead. But what's happening to me? Pam felt the tingling of chilling tendrils advance like slow needles stabbing ever farther, deeper, pulsing and creeping around the left side of her neck, 
like sentient strands of hair from one of those Japanese horror films she used to watch. Back before Tyler. The black veins intractably wormed their way down her arm, burrowing toward her breasts, her heart a mocking, ever more traumatizing violation. Gravel spun and crunched outside, guiles breaking to an urgent stop. Car doors closed, voices serious and low trailed to Pam's ears. Billings, clearing his throat as if to mask their tone, rose to let them in. Giles led her wife inside. Hello, I'm Val, said the new arrival. Her smile a reassurance, same as the deputies, shone in her eyes above her tie-dyed face mask. Her hair was a gray-blonde explosion. She wore a powder-blue bathrobe with matching slippers and a look of compassion mixed with poorly concealed alarm. A wooly woven hemp bag lay slung across her shoulder. It was lumpy and full, and a somehow offered promise. Val took Pam's hand in her own, the intricate henna tattoo there giving Pam a split-second jolt of terror that this woman was also afflicted. We're going to get rid of that pesky little blemish. Pam suggested Brandy take Cole into her bedroom. Billings stayed with them, closing the door. Tell Val everything you remember, Pam. Giles said as Val got her to stand up and show the handprint. Though Giles maintained compassionate eye contact with Pam, her gaze darted twice toward Val as Pam relayed everything from her harsh awakening triggered by Cole's scream to the shadow being's disappearance when she turned on the light. Giles and Val were quiet as graves for a long moment. Cole's muffled cry for his aunt broke the silence. What's wrong? Pam finally asked. Shadow entities are believed to multiply by force osmosis. That means... Pam shook her head to stop Val. She could do the math. She knew what that meant. Tell me about you, Val asked, about your life. Pam found herself shockingly receptive to the invitation. She had put herself through college, four years, while baby Brandy was just starting her prolific career as a party girl. Pam paid for artificial insemination for herself, almost as if to make a point to her family that she wasn't trash like them. She was determined to raise a baby who would rise far above its genealogy. And then she'd promptly lost that beautiful child, Tyler, within minutes of birth. Pam shared all of this while Val quietly drew two fat white candles from her bag, she placed them on either side of Pamela, listening without comment to Pam's outpouring of righteous resentment. Baby sister Brandy got pregnant too, but the father for a little coal was long gone. Pam convinced Brandy to keep this beautiful boy, swearing unlimited assistance. Though she coached Brandy on a healthy diet and lifestyle, the younger sister wasn't ready to give up even a second of the good times. Yet, Cole defied her unhealthy consumptions to be born an exceptionally hardy child. After tats, thank God. Ever-lucky Brandy managed to stumble her way into this shitty trailer and the quarantine benefits that saved her from life in the big world. Val held Pamela's hands while Giles lit the candles. But that baby, Brandy's boy, loved Pam. Everyone knew it. Everyone saw it. He loved his mother too, but it was clear as crystal. His Aunt Pam was special to him, an angel. Perhaps he sensed she was somehow his true mother, 
where the family at large was, at best, indifferent to haughty Pamela, Cole bore fierce passion for his aunt. The policewoman and her partner listened, nodding, rubbing Pam's arms. Pamela felt pounds of resentment suddenly falling away from her weary shoulders, crumbling to ash. It brought to mind one of the good times she and Brandy had shared as little kids, taking turns in their bedroom doorway and pushing their wrists against the frame for thirty seconds, then releasing. They had both laughed merrily at the sensation of their arms rising away from their sides as if carried by balloons. It seems to have stopped growing, Val murmured. Guile's eyes sparkled above her mask. Oh, thank goodness. Pam felt relief burst like sunrise in her heart. What now? It's fading with the release of her bitter feelings, said Giles. We can't afford to wait around to see, said Val, looking intently at Pamela. Maybe it's time to tell your sister all this. I don't know if I... The bedroom door flew open and there was Brandy, a figure of bluster and indignation. No need, sister, Deputy Billings trailed behind her fruitlessly trying to talk her down. You can pack your shit and go back to your high-class apartment in the city. Brandy spat the words like bitter berries. She stepped within six feet but leaned in deep. Cole and I will be just fine without you. She stomped into the kitchen, yanked open a cabinet, and began tossing its contents onto the floor. And he can eat real food like a regular person instead of this stupid hippie shit of yours. Ma'am, please calm down. Giles went into the kitchen to gather up some of the tossed packages and place them on the counter. Brandy went around the thick officer and stormed toward Pamela's bedroom. Billings was there first, putting himself in the doorway to block her. Brandy lets all talk. Pamela was grateful for the young deputy's cool-headedness. Brandy was less impressed. Move, motherfucker! He didn't. But Brandy knew Billings couldn't touch her without just cause. I'm throwing your shit out, bitch. You can live on the street. Brandy, look, I'm not sorry, interrupted Val, suddenly animated, leaping in front of Pamela. This is how you treat your sister? She asked. The one person working hardest to make sure your son has a good life? Oh, I know what everybody thinks of me, Pam nodded violently, and I know all about poor little Pamela who works so hard to be so perfect. Well, maybe I... Pam suddenly gave a violent shiver. As familiar pain rose. Tears escaped the quivering dam of her eyelids. Damn it, Val made a quick check of her shoulder. It's worsening again. Strangely silent, Cole stood at the doorway to the big bedroom and watched the drama unfold, his fine hair sticking up like straw. Oh, Brandy nodded fiercely and ironically. That's my fault, too. I Shut up for once, Billings interrupted. Please. I want you, just for now, to not be strong, said Giles, to be real. She took Pamela's hand as if to squeeze out the pain. You, Billings pointed at Brandy, go take care of your baby. Brandy did. It was her turn to bury resentment. Adding more insult, Cole would only allow her to take him to Pam's room, raging to wake the dead when his mother tried a passive-aggressive placation. And Pamela cried, bawled, burst open for her tragic past, for her lost child, even for her sister. In a minute's time, Val watched the puffy handprint reduce to a black scab, then a vague stain, then nothing. Val and the officers silently celebrated. Once the deputies left, 
Pamela softly knocked on her bedroom door. Let's forget everything. We'll just take care of Cole together, and that's all. Brandy opened the door and turned away from her sister, but Cole toddled to her and tugged her legs. The sisters got his diaper changed and then sang him to sleep in smooth harmony. They decided everyone would spend the night in Pam's bed. Though exhausted and spent from her affliction and healing, Pamela remained awake, calm and content for the first time in many years. Brandy lay awake too, seething in her long-held secret hate, wishing the shadow's touch had consumed her sister like she'd asked. The favor Brandy had asked of her dark visitor had failed due to Pamela's vigilance. The older girl was a good aunt and a better mother. So they would plan and try again, the shunned mother and the shadow demon. Cole would have to love his true mother, one sister pretender was reduced to shadow. Hey Patrick, um, I'm happy to have Patrick Green on with us. He's a fellow Raven Tail author. Hey everybody. You want to go ahead and, and tell us uh, your social medias, stuff like that? Yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter. I'm under Patrick C. Green, author of Under Wicked Skies, so that should make it pretty easy. <laughs> um, as for Facebook, um, if you look me up as Thomas Thorne, it's a, a pseudonym that I use on Facebook to promote myself and others. Well, that, that short story that uh, that I read that we started this episode off with, you said that was going to be in a collection of yours coming out in the fall. What was that called? That's called Oddities, Entities, and Absurdities, Tales That Cannot Be True. So it's a, it's a, lot, of, a lot of syllables there. <laughs> But I think it, it I think it uh, wraps it up nicely. And it's a, it's an anthology of sorts. Yeah, what I did was, um, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and just read accounts of strange experiences that people claim to have had. Um, you know, par paranormal and cryptid type stuff, and just what's referred to as high strangeness um, in terms of. You know, people people will have a weird experience, and there's a and there's it's not just the experience is isolated, but there's a lot of weirdness that surrounds their life around that. But anyway, so that's that's getting off track a little bit. The stories are uh, fictionalized uh, versions of the accounts. Um. So, what are some of your? Uh, I don't know how many books you have available through Raventail at this point. Uh, yeah, Under Wicked Sky is my first, and. Um, we, we discussed, I, had, I had written it as a standalone. Actually, I had written it as a screenplay before anything, um, but it eventually became a novel. And um, when when I finally submitted it to Raventail, then we talked about expanding it to uh, at least two, possibly more stories set in the same set in the same um, environment of a, a post global warming future, where where basically. The, the land has descended into lawlessness. So, and you can see where it goes from there. We had, uh, Under Wicked Sky itself has a setup where um, there's a, a small bed and breakfast that's kind of out of the way, and it's well-equipped with, you know, state-of-the-art air conditioning. Um, and it's been targeted by this group of roaming cannibalistic um, 
They're called the Silvers because they dress all in silver to re reflect the sun, and they've adapted themselves to the extreme temperatures, and now they roam around and eat people. <laughs> so this is 2024. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's set in 2037, but yeah, 2024 is probably probably more than likely. So um, yeah, if anybody wants to read that, if they like the, the story that I that I read, thanks for, for providing that for me. Um, yeah, you can find uh, Patrick's works on the social media, as you mentioned, or on Amazon. Uh, on this show, more than specific works of yours, and I wanted to give you a chance to, to talk about um, your work, but I like to talk about storytelling and the value of stories with those who've dedicated themselves to story, um, you know, like you, uh, like me. Um, do you have anything that stands out for you in a memorable sort of way? I have this friend who was talking to me uh, a while back um, about playing Pokemon in the back seat of his car on a long road trip as a kid. And it was just so nostalgic and defining of an era for him and, and so influential on who he is now that I started looking through my childhood memories from my own moments with, with stories, with story. Um, do you have anything like that? I mean, it could be a video game, movies, books, radio, really anything. Do I, I have a very vivid memory of uh, – I couldn't have been in more than third or fourth grade, but there was uh, – it was the original um, – it was the Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man. And it was the story thread with uh, the original story thread with the Green Goblin. Um, and, you know, so it, and it was, it's just so captivating because it's more than just, you know, a, a bad guy shows up and Spider-Man has to fight him. They they know each other's secret identities and yet they can't reveal it. And uh, I'm sorry, Green Goblin wants to kill Spider-Man. But Spider-Man can't kill the Green Goblin because it's his friend's father, and uh, not just well, not just that he doesn't he doesn't kill at all. It was just a really um, touching and engaging and, and powerful story that uh, you know you, you, the comic book format is so small you, you you get hit in the face with all this uh, action and story, and then you have to wait another month for that to happen again. Uh, and so I was just on you know I was just left in anticipation. Um, every few weeks and I just remember thinking about that and focusing on it and wondering what could happen I never got into to comic books as a as a storytelling medium um, I tried but it didn't really capture me what do you think it is about about comic books that captured you well um, I, you know I started drawing at a very at a very young age and I'm, oh, okay. I'm really interested in art I love great art and uh, I love action and and as as a child, I, you know, not to belabor it, but I was I was kind of the target of I was kind of picked on a little bit. I was the target of bullies, and so the superhero aspect, where you know there's somebody that's doing something about that, um, it was it was an, an encouraging and inspiring. Um, I can see how that would have would have been something about that story that really appealed to you. I was also um, picked on maybe, maybe a lot of us authors and introspective types were apparently so, yeah, <laughs> just naturally picked on. I like to think it, uh, it contributed us to contributed does becoming maybe who we wanted to be, you know, that kind of, I think there's no question that, uh, maybe it, maybe it deepens, deepen. There's a little, there's a price to be paid, but it, it deepens you a little bit, I believe. I think so. I think it's worth it, but it's sure tough in the moment. It, it does make it hard to imagine, uh, you know, having kids and knowing that, if they're anything like like me, they're potentially going to go through that themselves. But um, do you think that there were any lessons that you were taught by by that story, or 
any sort of influence it had on your life at that time? Anything that gave you like a like a secret strength or just a a comfort? Anything like that? It was yes. It, it was really it was very comforting. Uh, you know, kind of for the reasons that I mentioned, but just to have just to have another world that uh, that I could involve. You know, that my imagination was involved in that that could take me outside of reality but but i i do think there were there were lessons and stories there you know the uh, spider-man is um has a very strict has a very strict moral code if you think about it and and he's trying to do the right thing and and often it's kind of thankless for him so seeing that i, I kind of realized that that being good to people being kind and doing the right thing is not always something that is is you know it's not rewarding externally or financially or you know <laughs> not really much more than anything except your own peace of mind i really like that answer. that's a touching answer because you know it's interesting with with superhero stories where on the one hand they're not relatable because you know they have superpowers right but on the other hand um like you said they teach you these morals or, or lessons or they just they comfort you mm. by by being relatable in some way, especially with Peter Parker. Um, I could see how that would have been a comfort for you. My my particular thing was Star Wars books. Oh, yeah. I was really into the expanded universe, um, the now, uh, you know, ruined. And I guess it's just a parallel universe. I can still sort of imagine that it existed. But I really got into the Star Wars stories. And I, I think that somewhere in there was the idea that, you know, we're all doing what we can. You know, we all don't have the greatest powers necessarily but if we develop ourselves and our strengths and work to mitigate our own weaknesses you know we can be somebody who has something to offer particularly in terms of relationships and our our circles so also i uh i was always a spiritual kid in the force i think probably a lot of people the force was such a great like amalgamation of all these different ideas oh yes yeah. this like the streamline almost Taoist sort of sort of approach to the world um and then there's history and culture. But this isn't a Star Wars show. show. This is a Patrick Green show. So uh, my next question, and it jumps to a little bit of a different topic, but, you know, you write horror. You're a horror author. And and it's interesting to me what, what actually scares horror authors, horror creators. I mean, you can pinpoint a specific animal yeah. uh, or scenario, or you can dive deeper uh, either way. Um is good for me if I were to just guess based on on that story uh, that began this episode. I would say it's it's the darkness within, mm, yeah. it's the darkness within that you know that's so much more of a threat to us than than the darkness that's that's external. Yeah, but I don't want to take the words out of your mouth. <laughs> no, those are good words. I'll use, I'll just repeat those. No, <laughs> uh, um, so a couple things. That, um, you know, the most straightforward answer would be sharks and water. Growing up in uh, not just not just sharks, but th anything that's you know that's in the water. Squid, squid. That's my that's my animal. Okay, and yeah, but you kayak and stuff. You're you're uh, you're in the water a lot, aren't you? I do like to kayak quite a bit. Um, but yeah, you know, if you're kayaking in a freshwater pond or something, and you look down in the murky black, and you can only see maybe five feet down, but you see that there's like uh, plants climbing up from the from the floor of the pond at you, that's uh, that's that's something straight out of horror. Yeah, that can give you a little bit of a creep, can it? But something like alligators, it's too it's too real. It's yeah. Too scary. Oh, you know, yeah. like I, it's fightable. 
Yeah, and and piranha. For a long time, I was afraid of piranha as a child. Um, that uh, just such at such an unreasonable level too. Like that the, they were going to be in my bed, uh, and I was going to stick my feet in the covers, and they were going to be right. <laughs> right out of the water, right there to eat my toes, you know. There must have been a movie that had piranhas eating somebody or something. Like, I don't know how old you are, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I, well, I'm old enough that there was a movie called Piranha that uh, I think it was actually James Cameron's first directed movie. Um, but I don't think that's I don't think that's what got to me. I think it was an old episode of Tarzan <laughs> where um, somebody was crossing the river with their... Um, I don't know their ox or something, and and both the ox and the and its and its master were devoured within seconds, and that is you know, and as a small kid, you're like, oh god, that's crazy. So, as as a kid, the idea that there's something out there in nature that could do that is, um, I don't know, disillusioning. It's really upsetting because you know you're used to like domesticated dogs and cats, maybe some birds. <laughs> yeah. Some... The world outside your door is a lot different when you when you learn about piranhas. Well, in in terms of um, in terms of the more of an inner darkness kind of thing, I, you know, I don't want to. I think people often mistake me as, as or think that I'm anti-religious or anti-Christian, but I, but it's the fundamentalism that scares me and and bothers me. It's not uh, the philosophy itself. You know, it's. I, I was taught about, you know, I was taught at too young, at too young an age, I think, about the devil taking your soul, um, and you know, who knows what happens after that. And it was just, it was just unsettling and upsetting. And I, I think it kind of, uh, I think it kind of affected my relationships in a not healthy way, quite frankly. That's always been one of the things in horror that I that I can't quite cope with. Um, so I can relate. Are you saying that you, at that time, and maybe even still, uh, believe in that kind of thing? No, um, you know, I, I did. I did at the time, of course. But as you, as as I grew older, and I, I was fairly devout for a while. I read the Bible and, you know, went to church regularly. But but that's kind of the thing for me. The the Bible itself for me, this kind of started steering me more toward you know looking at other traditions, Eastern traditions. And uh, I, I think I just finally arrived at atheism just a few years ago. And um, uh, that's probably not a very popular thing to say, but it's just, it's just what happened. You know, it's just how it panned out for me. I understand that. I, um, I had a similar sort of path and then uh, I minored in, in world religions in college and uh, quite a few of my best friends now are atheists. So I understand some of the thought process, um, but it's interesting. So there is space within. I, mean, I don't want to define you as an atheist, like in, in strong terms. Cause I don't even know if you would, because uh, it's it's a long road, right? Life and, and who knows. But but um, you know, there's obviously space for you in that atheism uh, to believe and respect the power of the supernatural. There or is. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I tend to attribute that more to the subconscious. You know, I, I think as little as we know about the mind and the subconscious, um, it just it, it steers me more toward, you know, it, with evidence presented with evidence, I would believe anything. Uh, 
but that but that's the key it has to be evidence but you know that's why when you're dealing with the supernatural whether it's ghosts or psychic powers or that sort of thing um you really you know there's no there's no there's not going to be physical proof there's no tangible way to determine that that's real i just think it's i just think there's something really uh expansive about the subconscious that we that we just don't know yet so you're you're more arguing that that what we're talking about with something like that is like a subjective reality that that manifests itself um in that person's world like the shadow the uh i don't know if it's a shadow monster whatever you may call the the monster that was in the story i just read as opposed to like a a, a thing of nature that's that's paranormal in nature yeah um yeah that's um you know bringing bringing up the shadow man there's there's so many literally thousands of uh of accounts of seeing and experiencing shadow men um just as there are with bigfoot and ufos and so i'm i'm kind of at a default position with that it's it's uh, you know i can't say you're crazy there's there's no such thing as you know fill in the blank it's just that I haven't seen the evidence. Um, I, I would be interested and eager to look at the evidence where it presented, but I, I just can't invest energy in, in assuming something is true. You know what I mean? But like you said, evidence is going to be scarce when it's something that's subjective. Right. Yeah. That's experienced um, inside of somebody. And, and I certainly um, can go along with that. As somebody who is open to that, that that must affect your, I mean, not just your approach to life, but your experience with everyday life, everyday phenomena, or, you know, as you. Yeah, well, you know, for me, I've never really had much of a, I've never had what you might call, I'm not, I've seen strange lights, but that, that's so, that's such a vague, you know, that's, that's such a blanket term, strange lights, you know, no telling uh, what that could be. I mean, it could very easily be something man-made, or even a natural phenomenon. But uh, so is your so your exploration of these shadow men in in this story, at least. Do you think that's more like its its value um, as a sort of symbolic of our experiences with with inner darkness and our subconscious, or do you see it as your way of like exploring these possibilities? Because you hear these things that seem to be true, and then and then you want to, you know, almost as a, a thought exercise, explore them yourself. Oh, definitely. Um, it's, a, it's kind of just just the mystery, you know, just having a mystery. I think it's kind of I think a mystery is a beautiful thing, and it causes it, it causes you to be open minded. And uh, actually, I think empathy. I mean, mystery leads to empathy in a lot of ways. And um, you know, so I so I specifically the shadow men. Uh, I, I think you were talking about an inner darkness, and that's a great analogy. Probably people who see the shadow men, if I were to, if I were to posit a theory, they're seeing a uh, you know a, a manifestation in their mind of their own inner darkness, and that's that's a coping mechanism. The wicked sky. Um, the the antagonist is this these fundamentalists. I, mean, I guess I don't know if they're fundamentalists. I'm just assuming there's like a <laughs> like an ideology behind their cannibalism, but um, that's the the antagonist. Yeah, yes, the uh, the Silvers, um, and there's a lot of there's a, uh, a lot of backstory for for the leader of the Silvers. He actually starts out as a fairly sympathetic character, 
Um, and then he becomes a police officer and, um, things happen that, you know, slowly grind away at his, his own sympathy and empathy. Um, and then, and then he's, his, his, his antagonist in the, uh, in the bed and breakfast is a, an Iraqi war vet who has decided, you know, he, he's basically been a nomad since the war. So you have, uh, you have this, this leader of the silvers who has basically come from, um, organization and embraced chaos. And then you have the, the soldier who has come from the chaos of war and is just trying to find, you know, peace or meaning or reason. All right. Well, the, the last question I have is, uh, you know, the written word has its limitations when compared to film or television, right? I mean, I just saw Nope and there's a lot of things visually, um, that they do that, that we can't do right. as, uh, as authors. Yeah. Um, but it also comes to the advantages cause we can play, um, you know, we exist in, in the person's head. So how do you approach scaring people, um, without sight and sound as props? Man, what a great question. And, um, the, the thing that I find myself focusing on most is to have, you have to start out with believable characters. Um, and, Believable characters who have vulnerabilities, which frankly, you know, can be can be played on by, by whatever the uh, antagonistic force is. So that's that's kind of basically it for me. Suspense is number one. You have, once you have once you have somebody who has a weakness that you've exposed, then you put them in a situation where they're bound uh, to run up against something attacking that weakness. So it's kind of a convoluted answer, I know, but it's just to me, it's it's empathy and a, a you know a tough situation, a fish out of water type situation for the protagonist. I mean, I think I think that goes that's in line with everything else that you've said here in this interview. Where, I mean, the scariest thing is is what's is what's inside of us, mm. um, and then if if we're presented, you know, so like something like Halloween isn't necessarily scary to me because. Again, it's a real thing, but but if it's a horror where it, it causes me to reflect on um, what's possible, yeah, you know what might be out there, um, just real enough that that it could be like these shadow men, right. but it also somehow incorporates, like you're saying there, you know, it comes after my weakness. It's uh, it's almost beyond my control. You know, am I am I strong enough? Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah, I think that's good. It's the kind of scare that just sort of burns into somebody's brain. It might not have uh, big jump moments, but it's the kind of thing you end up living with for the next, I don't know, like The Exorcist or, or, or the stories of uh, possession that you talked about at the beginning of this interview. That kind of thing just sits with you for a few years and, and makes you become a devout Catholic. Yeah, and, uh, and it's, it's, so, it's so impactful, the, kind of trying to cross the bridge between uh, – you know what what we can what we can actually see and examine versus the unknown that's just it's just something that's endlessly fascinating to me me too dark tootin is there anything else you want to say to the uh to the listeners anything uh want to give your social media again anything like that yeah i, I just want to say thanks everybody for uh listening and and everyone who's reading um Raven Tales has been great, and they're putting out some great work. And I hope everybody will uh, take a chance on a few Raven Tale books. Am I right? 
Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, be good to each other. I think that's what horror should teach us. Be good to each other. I try to tell that. I try to explain that to my wife and other people who aren't my brother, who aren't really into horror. You know, it's at the end of the day that the message of horror is is good. There's this brightness at the end. Be good to each other. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad. I'm glad you agree. I mean, as dark as things can get uh, in horror, there's always this implication that, that the light is a little bit stronger, right? And that's my favorite kind of horror. And uh, I think you and I seem like we're uh, simpatico. So I might read, what is it? The Wicked Sky? Under Wicked, Under Wicked Sky, yeah. Thanks, Patrick. I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, thank you. This was great.